0: Episode 36, uh, Kids Who Can't Focus reflection. Uh, great
1: chat, Nick. What, do, what are people going to learn about? Well, we had nine areas we covered today, questions from everyone. So we had uh, dozens of questions this week. So we distilled them down. So I appreciate all those long questions um, or long thought out questions people sent us. They're going to learn a lot. They're going to learn about some practical strategies to helping address kids who can't focus and kids with ADHD. We talk about medication. We talk about Um, how educators, huge cohort listens to us are going to benefit from this as well. What else, Billy? Yeah. How to talk to kids about it.
0: Yeah. yeah, We look at some really practical stuff around what educators can do Mm. and the stigma. So yeah,
1: really, really great app. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, it was great. It was a part two episode. So all the questions make the uh, fuel the episode itself, which makes it fantastic for other listeners. Appreciate it guys. Uh, We think you're really going to enjoy this one. Cheers.
0: (laughs) Hi, I'm Billy, a developmental paediatrician, and I'm Nick, a developing parent. We're going to use scenes from iconic movies to talk about how we best support our kids. This
1: is Pop Culture Parenting. Hey, don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath, she'll take it out on me.
0: Daddy, and what does he do? Just use your best judgment.
1: We trust you. Good morning, Dr. Billy. How are you? Good morning, Nick. Yeah,
0: happy Father's Day.
1: Oh, it is Father's Day, isn't it?
0: Yes. Yes. Shout out to all the dads out there.
1: Shout out to the dads. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I forgot about that.
0: We love hearing dads are listening.
1: We get it a little bit, don't we? Yeah, we do. It's usually mum telling us that dad's listening. (laughs) Usually (laughs) mum's saying I'm watching it with dad. Yeah. But we do get, it's funny, some films like uh, Remember the Titans. Yeah. And we did Remember the Titans. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the topic off the top of my head. Um, And, oh God, I can remember the scene. Firm feedback. No. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a lot of... a lot of men watch that one.
0: Yeah, because you can see the demographics on your end, can't you? Yeah, you
1: can see it sort of – I think, it. yeah, they give you an idea of profile and blah, 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 What who might be watching. And, um, yeah, mm. men watch that one. So, yeah. Some more Terminator stuff coming <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for all the dads. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, we've got some uh, good ideas for movies for the run run to the end of the year. Run to the but end of the year. It's going to be a big run. Yeah. So, yeah, some exciting stuff ahead. But um, but Great right, week. Now. Great week. Mm. Amazing
1: feedback week. I can't remember more responses to our sort of questions in our Instagram stories about this particular topic, which really, uh, I'll just recover, we obviously did, this is episode 36, Finding Nemo and Kids That Can't Focus, and it did swing really uh, quickly to ADHD. So you talked a lot about that, and executive function in the previous ep, and so a lot of the questions we got were about ADHD um, but I haven't seen that many questions come through before across email. What, uh, yeah, all of the touch points.
0: Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? And yeah, mm-hmm. interestingly, the polls that we put up, which was kind of do you know someone with ADHD and pretty much everyone said that they do and then pretty much everyone said that, you know, it's not well understood. Yep,
1: um, 98% were like it's not well understood. Yeah, so
0: yeah, it's great stuff and I think, yeah, you you and I both found it helpful to think oh. about the practical bits of it.
1: Yeah, loved it. I loved honestly loved learning about what executive function was and the three steps behind it, um, which made me then help identify. Honestly, I think I think a couple of people did this as well in the messages and was like, "Oh, where are my gaps?" Like, I don't think people were saying, "Oh, I now have ADHD," but they were like, "Helps you assess the kind of the key three things that focused on, which were yes, uh, good. I can do. Sorry, oh, no, I was going to dive in. That was memory." Yes, working memory. Correct. Uh, flexibility. Yep, cognitive flexibility. And impulse control. Yes, Bang. Sorry. Yeah, I wasn't throwing it. Was, yeah. I was like, no, can no, you let me great. run at this? No, that's no. what I was yeah, I was yeah. looking for, the acknowledgement, and there I go. It's all great. right. So that's the episode for this week, guys. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. In all seriousness, no, we will jump into the questions now. So for those of you listening for the first time, Billy does an episode and a topic, or we both do an episode and a topic. Billy does the research, thankfully, and not I. And we we, we pick it apart in episode one, and we use Finding Nemo in a great scene using Dory, uh, where she has uh, access tapping into her memory. Anyway. Just quickly,
0: I appreciate people who say the scene selection was great and the movie selection because – You and I think about that a lot, so it's nice reinforcement for us.
1: It was. The way you articulate – honestly, guys, go back and listen to part one. I was like, how's this all going to fit together? And Billy runs through at the end and knocks it out of the park. It is a a, – it's a ripper. I still think the
0: aliens and the Terminator are the best (laughs) best ones. Those in my mind are the ones that I was really proud of, how I linked.
1: (laughs) They were early days. It showed you had some talent about (laughs) linking them. But I think Nemo, for me, uh, shows positive reinforcement uh, can help address skill gaps uh, in memories, particularly with kids, which is what a lot of ADHD, well, it is an aspect of what ADHD can be. And you can see improvement when you focus on one thing for a period of time with a kid. So that's ACE. And another element is uh, being
0: a bit impulsive and interrupting, so sorry that I did that to you. <laughs> yeah. but, um, no but no, so yeah, we've, we kind of look at the questions is what you were saying the for next time. Sure.
1: Yeah, and so the next part, sorry guys, long explanation. And in part two, people go away for the week, they can have a look at it, um, or it doesn't matter if you're new to it anyway, you can ask us questions about the topic, and this is our response episode to that. So I might kick off with the first question, if that's cool. Yeah, go for it. Number one. How do I tell if my child has ADHD or is just behind or is different? You know, daydreaming, vague, lots of energy.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's a really good question because we certainly don't want, you know, every kid who struggles a little bit to pay attention to suddenly be, you know, parents to be stressed that it might be ADHD. Yep. And I think we spoke a little bit about how kids can be diagnosed before you get to primary school. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be five, six years of age. You know, you can be a little bit younger than that. But I think that speaking to teachers is a really good first step just saying, look, she's pretty disorganised at home and doesn't seem to pay attention when I call out her name or, you know, struggles to start a task or to finish a task or, you know, being really specific about the things that you're noticing and chatting to school. Because educators are really well informed about, yeah, actually, that's kind of within the normal range of what we see. Gotcha. And You know, I've known 25 kids for a year for the yeah. 10 years I've been a teacher. Or, yeah, actually, I've noticed a little bit too that, you know, it's struggling. And it has to be an impact on the function. So it can't just be, yeah, you know, he seems like he's um, really easily distractible, but it's okay. It's got to be, he seems like he's really easily distractible. And it means that I can't have a conversation with him, like at gotcha. the end of the day it becomes so frustrating because i'm constantly having to bring him back into the chat yeah so there's got to be that bit and it's got to be like we said last time it's got to be in more than one environment it can't just be oh, i struggle at home
1: but school seems fine yeah cool all right It's so on impact that's probably what you're looking for
0: okay yeah and the other bit about kind of is it just delayed that's actually a really good question because um we know that a lot of kids will have different like your age is not really the determinant of where you're at mm-hmm. as we've spoken about a lot you've got to think about whether at developmentally not oh you're seven you should be able to do this but we often get asked about what we call developmental delay and you can have the same kind of developmental delay in your attention or you know level of how active you are or okay. your impulsivity but you can't actually call it delay until the kid has caught up and you look back and go yeah it was actually just delay Yeah, cool. So speech delay is an easy one to understand, you know, should be saying this many words but isn't yes. Yep. But you can only say it was delay when the kids actually got to where they should be. For sure. And that's why time is a really important thing about giving them a bit of time where you're focusing on it and going, yep, this is what we're working on, just you kind of struggling to stay in a conversation. So, yeah, and we'll talk to that and some of the other questions. But, yeah, that's a good way of answering it is like talk to other people. Where's
1: the dysfunction? Yep. School, one of the best places with Mm. the educators, carers. Yep. Awesome. Okay, cool. Thank you. (laughs) Question two. A lot of people asked about this one, this next one actually. How do I explain ADHD to my child and how to find the positive aspects, superpowers of ADHD? Um, I'm actually going to give a short example of someone that actually wrote in about that that I think really perfectly articulates how this kind of comes about in conversation. It was last week whilst driving in the car, my son said to me, mum, I don't feel like I I belong anywhere and that no one appreciates me except in our family. My heart broke into a million pieces. and I'm so sad, so mad that my kid, compassionate, energetic boy, has been made to feel this way. Sorry, my kind, passionate, energetic boy has been made to feel this way. So, yeah, Billy, you know, how do you explain ADHD to kids and what are the aspects and superpowers of it? So, yeah,
0: I mean, that is heartbreaking, isn't it, to... You know, and what an amazing kid to be able to articulate that feeling at such a young age. Mm. But, yeah, it must be heartbreaking for a parent. And, yeah, that's one of the reasons that this is a topic that's come up. This is, you know, as we've said, 7% of kids, and this is the biggest bit that I worry about is their self-esteem because, you know, it impacts social relationships and how those kids see themselves. So, yeah, my you know, heart goes out to that family. But it's beautiful because this parent is taking the time to listen to this and think about it and learning more about, ADHD is probably the first step for anyone that's thinking about how do I have this conversation, you know, is that get a good understanding of it, you know, hopefully our podcast. But um, looking at some other helpful resources can be really good. There's a Raising Children's, there's a website which has a, a lot of information that's really helpful yep. and written in a way that makes sense. And then obviously when you need to see someone, the, the question of kind of when do I, you know, how do I have that conversation, I think it's always best to ask kids what they think about it first. What do you know about this and one of, there's kind of two questions that I ask every family I see in clinic is, you know, the first one is often to the kid is like, why why do you think you're here to see me today? You know, and getting an idea of the kid's understanding because that can see where they're at. And right. Some kids will be like, oh, I was just told on the drive here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Or, um, or, yeah, we've been talking about this for ages and we're here because, you know, I'm struggling a bit at school or whatever it is. Okay. And then when you have gotten to the point, it's really good where you're kind of like, yeah, cool, okay, let's now build up your understanding of what ADHD is. And it's there's heaps of different ways to do this, but I think it is really important to be honest but also really strengths-based and be saying like, you've just got a really cool brain at thinking differently about things and it goes really fast, faster than a lot of other people's brains can go. and It's really good at thinking differently about stuff, like it catches stuff in the world that other people don't see because they're so focused on other things that they don't see the other stuff or think about it differently the hard bit about it is that sometimes in certain ways you actually have got to be able to shut out all that stuff or you've got to be able to slow down how quick your brain is and a lot of kids will talk about like it feels like a fog has been lifted a bit when they start getting a hang of it either through medication or therapy or both and um that's the cool bit that gives me insight into what the experience of like is a child, as the experience is like as a child who has that kind of fogginess and then sees it lifted. But it's really important that it's kind of it's a different thing and it's a strengths thing. And when we get to the point where we can overcome the challenges, they should become a smaller and smaller part about it. The problem with Clinic is they come to us and they're like, This is the big thing. The big thing is that he's really disorganized or she can't pay attention. Or he's always getting up out of his chair. He's always interrupting and can't wait his turn. He's always, you know, can't let his friends finish their sentence. So what I work with families about is making those things smaller and smaller. So it's kind of, you know, moving away from that kind of this is the bit that sucks about it to, you know, this is the bit that is, it's one of the reasons you're so creative. It's one of the reasons you're so passionate. It's one of the reasons you've got so much energy. And those are all good things about us, but it's just getting the bad bit smaller and smaller is the bit I think that's really important. And that kind of also answers the unlocking the superpower bit as well. Like find what it is in those kids and be like, yeah, I don't want to change who you are. I don't want this to be a label and a narrative around you. I want to, you know, think about how can we use how much energy you've got so that you can be a gun on a footy field. Yep. You know, how can we think about how you take taking information from everything in your environment to have an artistic output in your life? How can I think about, you know, how passionate you are so that you can, you know, be a real leader in a social group once we get on top of the bit that you've always, you know, you're so impulsive and excited and everything, that can be a great quality if we can just scaffold the social skills where you can kind of wait your turn when someone else is speaking or, you know, not get too much in people's face or not have too much energy in certain environments. Mm. that's the bit, like develop the skills so that the – but you don't take away the good bits of it.
1: Wow. Yeah, cool. I like that. So, yeah,
0: yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's amazing how many people said, like, how do I talk to my child about ADHD?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great uh, starting point. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Lots of people asked about the emotional aspect of ADHD. Uh, Why does it occur? Does it get better with time? And how do you deal with it?
0: Yeah, so it's funny, I was speaking to about a little six-year-old boy this week actually in clinic um, that some other professionals were supporting and it was kind of, yeah, it got to the point where like, yeah, this this little guy's got ADHD and, you know, that that explains why he's so emotional. And it only partially explains it, that we can never give it the real complete reason of why kids are having emotional difficulties because the risk is that you kind of go, oh, yeah, he gets really angry but it's his ADHD Or, you know, she's always kind of sad, but it's her ADHD. And that's not
1: true. Okay, that's not true. No,
0: so the risk is that you kind of go, oh, that's why he's angry. Or that's why he's scared. Or that's why she's, you know, always down in the dumps. Mm -hmm. And you miss the chance to actually find the reason. The reason that ADHD is a component of it is that impulsivity. That they really struggle of the emotional regulation bit. So they have the angry experience, which is completely valid. Mm Mm-hmm and they have every right to feel sad or like they've had injustice done or whatever, but because of their impulsivity, they just react immediately to it. Yep. Throw a chair, tell someone to get stuffed, push the other girl, whatever it is, because the impulsivity bit means that the way they handle that emotion can be really dysfunctional and impact their quality of life and their relationships and their learning and all that stuff. But it's not the reason they're angry. It's not the reason they're anxious. And about 40% of kids with ADHD also have anxiety. So it's one of the ones I really... The majority of children who have ADHD have something else as well. Okay. So it's What just, else? So anxiety is a really common one. Depression is a really common one. Learning problems is a really common one. Autism? Yeah, autism is another common one as well. A lot of kids with autism have ADHD. Most kids with ADHD don't have
1: autism. Right, got you. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah
0: okay. Yeah, but it's, yeah, so thinking about that, especially anxiety... Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So there's a unique cohort of kids, often girls, who don't have hyperactivity but just have inattentive ADHD, so it's good that we find them. But when we also think, "I oh, you seem a bit stressed and anxious, we can't be like, oh, yeah, that's the ADHD, so we'll just gotcha. sort out the ADHD and you'll be fine. You can do that, and then if the emotional problems persist, it's not just a problem of how they handle their emotions, it's a problem of what they're experiencing in terms of that anxiety or anger or whatever it is.
1: Okay, I can understand that, sorry, just that last bit about how they're experiencing it. What does that mean exactly? So they're experiencing the emotion. So, sorry, let me go back. A behavior Mm. is triggered by an emotion. So, yeah, 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 so, sorry, I'm just going back over. No, 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 I'm going back. This is the learning I'm taking from everything else we've talked about. When you see a behavior the kid's not bad, It's there's an emotion underneath it that's triggering that behaviour. So the same yeah. as what you've just said about ADHD. But that last bit you said there, um, I'm working on my memory now, was how they experience it. What does that mean? Yeah,
0: so good example. You just articulated beautifully. The feeling is underneath the behaviour. Yeah. And often kids with ADHD... We see the behaviour and we see a really quick behaviour. We see an unregulated behaviour. That's the
1: impulsive part. Yeah, that's the impulsive
0: bit. They just go snap because they can't hold the thought, go hang on a second, process it, take a breath, whatever. They're so impulsive that they act on it straight away. So the behaviours can be very obvious and very frequent gotcha and, yeah and we challenge you know we struggle with those challenges with our kids
1: yeah cool thanks i love learning about the language around all this stuff because like when you get a common language it makes it a lot easier a common terms so that was good so i understand that
0: and i think there was a bit <laughs> that was yeah what does it go away uh a lot of kids who get it treated will have better support and better, able to better handle that Yep, yeah, get better with time yeah so yeah behavioral problems in all kids peak at about three to four years of age um, there is an increased cohort in kids that might have some difficulties around um, seven, eight, nine, but pretty much all kids will get better at it if you support them in developing their emotional regulation aspects. Um, yeah, cool. So I think I, – did I answer every part of that question?
1: Yep, yep. Um, does it get better with time? How do you deal with it? Yep, you gave that. And um, why does it occur? Yep. Yep, cool. Cool. Question four. How do I work with school or my co-parent to best support my child with ADHD? So your kid's got a diagnosis, let's yeah. go back to school, all right, what do we do?
0: Yeah, totally. So we had people sending in going, look, school's pretty old school, they're pretty strict or yep, there was a couple of people that talked about school kind of, you know, talks about how he's just being naughty or doesn't listen or, you know, she, she just doesn't pay attention and it's her choice and parents struggling with that. Or there was parents that were kind of like, you know, I, my partner who has 50% of the time with our child um doesn't agree or struggles to understand this right which can be really tough so the important bit with the school bit is i and i did it i i think i've done three or four talks this week and one of them was to educators and i was talking about how important it is to build an alliance at schools yep educators can be phenomenal and yeah i think i've said before educators and maternal child health nurses are my two favorite professionals to work with because of how powerful their relationships are, but it can be really hard when you've got a dysfunctional one with as a parent where you're butting heads against school and you're like, oh man, this is not helping. Things are getting worse. So what you want to try and find is, you know, good communication pathways. And there's actually some evidence about you know a specific tool in which you use a communication that c- comes back and forward daily. So you kind of drop your kid off at the school and you go this is how last night was, this is how this morning was, this is how things are going. And then the school does the same thing at the end of the day and hands it back to you. And you go, cool, this is how our kids are actually going in both these environments. It's low cost. We just have to kind of pass this back and forth.
1: Like a logbook?
0: Yeah, kind of like a logbook or something like that. Cool. Because what's important is that there's an open line of communication. The other thing is that there's consistency in what we're doing. yeah. That's the biggest thing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so there's no point that, like, yeah, cool. When he's struggling with interrupting, or when he's struggling with being impulsive at home, we do X, but then we get to school and a different thing happens, or
1: nothing happens, or yeah, vice or versa. Nothing happens. Or we do school and we don't do it yeah. Or yeah, exactly. Or yep. schools
0: working really hard on stuff, but they get home and it's just undone because the kid's saying a different thing and. All kids that are struggling are kind of looking around for consistency. Yeah. And inconsistency means they look around more. You know, they often they'll test boundaries more. They're kind yeah. of like if a boundary moves, a kid'll always go and check where it is. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? Even if it's a physical one. Yep. If it's like you can't go past that fence ever, like, cool, that's a rule. Sometimes I can, I'll check now if I can go past the fence. You know, it's just a.
1: Oh yeah. It's a common thing. Yep. <laughs> You know, I, I just know it. No, I'm just picturing Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Just yeah, and parents are actually – I don't want to get am- off topic. No, yeah.
0: but parents and educators are amazing at um, creating – they just don't give themselves enough a pat on the back at how good they are about creating consistent boundaries because they go, oh, nothing I'm doing is working. There's actually heaps of things that are working that the kid understands that's just a hard boundary. Mm-hmm. But it's all the ones that flex, that it's you know challenging and very easy for me to say I'm hopeless at it oh them, no i was
1: just body. thinking about how bad I, when you that was my sort of smile I was like yeah they will push those boundaries it's like don't do that thing and then they'll check that they still can't do that thing yeah that's why i could, like to think about my head and not they're just pushing my buttons.
0: no but it costs nothing to check <laughs> do you know what i mean it costs the kid nothing <laughs> <laughs> they're just like oh, i'll just see if i just throw my leg over this fence is there a response oh yeah there is cool i won't go over. oh
1: God, it's
0: everywhere.
1: Yeah. Always checking boundaries, which and is it's,
0: good, and it's true as well for the co-parent. Like, actually, I don't think we've have we done one on co-parenting uh, topic. Not yet. Yeah. So one of the big themes of that stuff. What does is co-parenting is, mean, by the way? So two different environments, cool. like, is what parents are, the are separated, basically. Yeah, parents or separated. Or, cool. Yeah. And you know, there's always going to be even if even the way that you and Henry or Annalise and I parent is is different. Sure. Yeah. You know, in the same house, around yeah. the same stuff, whatever. Agreed. It's just when you're working on something, it's good to be consistent, and yeah. it's good to give each other the feedback. So you're like, "Hey, we're working on this. We're working on meal times, and I'm finding this is what we've talked about. You know, this is what you and I have agreed on. Let's yep. try and be consistent just for a few weeks and see. And just, it's actually important that you're different parents because they'll pick up different experiences yeah. and connections and strengths and role modeling stuff.
1: Yeah. No. So, two
0: carbon copy parents is, it helps no kid.
1: Also, pretty rare, I'd have thought. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're well, yeah. not both brought up the same way, so you're not influenced by the same parents. That's the thing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right, cool. Um, more info on building skills, e.g., transitions and older child approaches for ADHD EF.
0: Yeah, yeah. so that was a What's few a parents, oh, executive functioning, executive I, function, won't, I won't get you to run through them again. <laughs> <But> I can, <laughs> I can <laughs>
1: if you need. But
0: yeah, so a few parents were sending in questions about like, look, great app, you know, but it seemed to be younger kid stuff. I actually had a couple of parents saying, you know, feeling really guilty that they'd missed, we didn't realise it was ADHD until they were a teenager and we felt like we've really missed out on those formative years. Okay. And it's not true. That's the ah. awesome thing is that you and I can um you and I can look at our stuff and be like yeah actually I do notice that when I'm bored or I'm finding stuff too hard I'm really distractible. Yep. And I'll grab the phone or I'll you know completely not pay attention to the conversation or completely waste my time on that task because I wasn't you know I didn't create a good enough environment or I didn't focus well enough on it or whatever. So and you can definitely develop those skills into adulthood. So nothing's been missed and the fact that parents are listening to this stuff to learn more about it means that you know their kids have got a really good chance about coming out of it because it's really just about reflective practice what we talk about the um, yeah so the bit about transitions was a good one because that was one of the examples that came through about like can you talk in more detail about it and we'll I think we've made the last question of the bunch about education settings, so we'll talk a bit more depth about um what exactly we should do, but the important thing is that you can you can pick the thing and be like cool it's transitions it's you know getting out of the house, it's you know going to bed or you know it's going to the supermarket or ah, whatever it is and you'd sure. be like. Yep, yeah, cool. And that's often a classroom environment. So a lot of these kids, yeah. when they go from like one class to the other, they really struggle because oh, they're man. like, I'm in this awesome 40-minute environment where I've got a teacher right in front of me guiding me through the whole thing. I then go into the corridor and it's chaos. You know, there's heaps of kids everywhere. I've got to like follow a diary. I've got to do this. I've got to know which room to go to. I've got to be prepared for it. I've got to have these really quick social connections because it's not a proper break and all this stuff and they just completely stuff it up because they're like, this is too much to ask me. So with everything, what we do is we scaffold kids where they're at and be like, Yeah, you actually can't do this on your own. Like you can't, like we talked about last time, we can't be like, get ready for school and be like, Cool, I expect you to succeed at that. So we go to where they're at and it doesn't matter how old they are. You just go, this is where you're actually at. And there's a lot of kids who we'll be really good at certain stuff and you go, how come you can't do this bit? And it's because they're completely unrelated. Like we've often talked about that and, you know, kids who are really bright and articulate not having the emotional capacity and it can be hard when you're a teenager because if you're, if you struggle emotionally as a teenager, you've got, you know, you've got these huge cognitive powers that have come to you, these huge physical powers, you're now becoming an adult You're in all these high risk situations and if you're impulsive or hyperactive, it can be really risky. So it's about kind of, yeah, building trusting relationships and having open discussions with these kids about that stuff and being like, I think you're an absolute superstar but I'm worried about X and the only reason I'm worried about that is because I care about you and I think it's, you know, something that we should work on is like the fact that you're can be really impulsive you know and we know why that is and it's not your fault and you know but how how do we make sure that we have this stuff and like we've said before the last time they're going to nail it is in the most chaotic you know whether it's the corridors between the classroom it's the playground it's the party where they're there and they don't have any of your support and all that stuff so we can't go i'll just have a chat with you and expect you to be at the party and not be impulsive and not you know (laughs) Yeah, that's the. I've talked last week, I think, about the end of the bed stuff, but it's actually about going, cool. Like, I can actually give you opportunities knowing that's coming Mm. that are less demanding on you and that will help you get better at this. So that when you get to the party, when you get to the corridor, when you get to whatever, you're more likely to succeed at it.
1: Yep. Yep. Okay. Cool. Good, good answer. A lot in there. I just get. I just just start thinking back to high school and stuff when you do the corridor thing. So that's what
0: happens with these parents. Is they're like, oh man, either I was like that, and you started started this talking about you know parents. Often parents who go through this process with this go, oh my god, I think I've got ADHD. That's
1: what I'm saying. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I started thinking about all those executive function things, and I'm like. what's really common it's a really big genetic link and a lot of this stuff and the other thing is yeah you go like oh man you're 14, 15 like you're going to parties I was here like this and I remember all the awful stuff I experienced because of how impulsive I was how hopeless I was at being organised or I knew a kid who was like that and he had ADHD I think and he really struggled and this awful stuff happened so that's that's where our emotions come into all
1: this stuff yeah yep Oh, Find hard to concentrate when you do that stuff. That's good, Billy. Thank you. <laughs> uh, medication, how does it work? Oh, I've got I've got five questions here actually. So cool. We'll be a bit punchy do- with them. So okay, that, cool. Yeah. So we'll do the first one. So people asked about medication. So you obviously talk about um, uh, pills don't get skills. Yeah, pills don't teach skills. Pills don't teach skills. So this is like you're skilling the kids up, but medication would help with that process to continue skilling them up because you've because because it just won't like, giving them a pill won't fix the gap in the skills across the executive function stuff right yeah so let's talk about medication how mm. does it work yeah so how does a kid go through what do they experience
0: yeah so how does it work so the reason that um it's a really interesting history of these medications, actually. I know I love talking about history, but I will promise I'll be punchy on it. Um, yeah, so this is a really... It's one of the most studied medications in medicine. Like, people really worry about it. There's a lot of stigma around medication, you know. Okay. You know, there's this thing of like, oh, it's just speed or it's this or it's that. Or, you know, kids don't need it. They just want it. They'll become addicted, whatever. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's one of the most studied medications and it's from the 60s. And a lot of it was actually to treat insomnia, which is one of the biggest side effects of it. And the guy who – so Ritalin is the main one. um, That's its brand name. And it's called that because the guy in the 60s, I think his wife was Margarita or something like that. So it's like – or he called her Rita. So she she was taking it for her blood pressure or something like that. But, um, so he called it Ritalin. Um, so, yeah, it's obviously been for decades and decades researched. The reason that we think it works is because the executive functioning parts of our brain, and obviously kids with ADHD have a problem with executive functioning, have a lot of dopamine receptors in them and a lot of noradrenaline receptors, which is two neurochemicals, the bits in my brain that like help signals fire. They're like the bits that go, that make connections is what the neurotransmitters are. What the medications mainly do is they increase like the fuel to fire those connections. They give more kind of power to those connections for them to happen and that's why and it it actually works really, really well Mm. with the majority of kids. The medication, often the reason that we struggle with it and it's kind of like the majority of kids will benefit from it. One of the hardest things with the medication is that Very kind of simply, about a third of kids will get a little bit of benefit from it. A third get a moderate and a third get a phenomenal impact. And then there's a small group of kids that don't get anything out of it. But everyone hears the story about the kid that gets the huge impact out of it. And And then you kind of see your kid get a little bit of an impact and you're like, oh man, I wish, you know. But that's where the skills bit comes in. So that's kind of how it works in terms of the medication. Um, It it increases the fuel for those connections of executive functioning to fire is a good way of thinking about it. And we see that when we do what are called functional MRIs where you put someone in a scanner and get them to do memory stuff, Mm -hmm. different parts of the brain light Light up up. for kids.
1: Okay, so that's how you can tell, right. Yeah. So, yeah. What was the next one? How does every child – sorry, does every child with ADHD need medication? Yeah,
0: so this was one that came through from a lot of people around like, you know, sometimes practice is that once a child has a diagnosis, the medication is trialled. And it's a good point is that every time we do the medication, we just try it. It's just to try it and the kid has to be a part of that process. And obviously the parents are. It's just the way that I work is I go, these are all the evidence-based options. This is why I think some of them are good. This is the risk of some of them. What do you reckon we do? And that's kind of my way that I practice that we make that decision together and I'm kind of guided by the family. A lot of kids will benefit from it and it's kind of, if you think about it simply, if, you, if you're if you having a really big impact on the kid in school, social life, at home, whatever, it is worth considering the medication but never the medication alone. Sometimes, especially the younger cohort, you can try the therapy stuff first and the skill development stuff and give it a good run for three to six months and they'll be like, yep, cool, things are getting better, this is awesome. Actually, things aren't getting better. Sometimes we have to try the medication quickly with kids get diagnosed because they actually can't be at school. We can't, You can't develop the skills if you're not at school. And gotcha. if they're so hyperactive and impulsive that they can't be in that environment, then we do have to try the medication because we're like, I need you in the classroom. Like, I need you to be there. And it's not a criticism of schools. It's never schools going, oh, we just don't want this kid around. It's schools going and this kid is like really struggling with his impulses and how hyperactive he is that we can't even get to the attention stuff because it's just so disruptive for the class. And the medication can help with that bit.
1: Yeah. Is um silly one out of the executive function we went over. So memory, flexibility, impulse. Impulse is the most uh visible Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the impulse is the most visible one because we see those we like see just it. actions Boom. coming out. Yeah. Bang, yeah. snap. I you know, I, I react. Whereas, yeah, the the cognitive flexibility is harder to see and that's like the transitions, new innovations come in, rules have changed, we have a different expectation of you now. So you just see kids like struggling. And often what happens is they, when they struggle, they'll often deviate to something predictable. They'll be like, I cannot understand what's happening here. I can see every other kid has got their head around it. I need some predictability so they'll kind of act out or whatever and because they know they'll get support coming in or they'll call out or something and be impulsive. They'll get support in and they don't have that feeling of I'm failing at being at the cognitive flexibility. Obviously no kids thinking I'm failing cognitive flexibility but they're like I'm just not doing what the other kids are around me. are, And that's the same with the working memory stuff. It's hard to see but the example we used last week of like the 20 steps to get ready for school They just stuff it up and then that that impulsivity can come in because their emotions just kind of run wild.
1: Yeah. Okay. Cool. A couple more on medication. Is it okay to start medication at the same time as therapy?
0: Yeah. And that that example I gave about if the child can't be in those environments can be a reason. Yep. It can also be like, yeah, actually we can see that schools and families have worked really hard on the non-medication stuff already. And so we are at the point, you know, we have – gone through the diagnostic process we've looked back and gone yeah you've actually tried a lot of evidence-based stuff you've given this kid a good chance to see if it is a permanent thing they struggle with or just time like the delay stuff we spoke about so we actually can now at this point start the medication once we've done the diagnosis bit you And then jump into the formal therapy stuff
1: yep uh ritalin and sleep
0: Yeah, so like it was being treated, you know, it was used back for insomnia. That's the problem. So there's a couple of things in that and it's going to sound like – I'm just trying to get people to go back and listen, but the sleep episodes are actually relevant for this stuff. Yep. Because we covered like what are the actual practical ways that you implement the sleep hygiene and the strategy stuff and you've got to be really, really focused on this stuff with kids. The other thing is that most kids at the start will be on short-acting medication, so two doses. You go like morning dose, lunchtime dose – and pulling the lunchtime dose earlier can help sometimes to give it a chance to get out of their little system because it kind the of meant to last three yeah. to four hours, but there's often a lag and the medication can find it hard. Final option for kids who have got like all the sleep hygiene stuff and nailing it is there is a little bit of evidence for melatonin in these kids um, that it can be helpful to help trigger the sleep and work on because with the medication, it's usually that they struggle to fall asleep, not that they wake up through the night.
1: Yep. And uh a tough one here. How do you address the guilt of medicating a small child or my child?
0: Yeah, totally. And that's um yeah, that came through from a lot of parents' guilt around mm. medication or the diagnosis mm. or Yeah, the way that everyone else thinks about ADHD and stigmatizing it. So yeah, I think that um like with the medication always see like is it this is what is specifically targeting and we talk to our trainees about this. It's not like we don't we don't start medication for ADHD. We start medication for the fact that you're not able to focus for longer than five minutes and your reading is really falling behind. You know, you're not actually able to succeed in social environments because of how impulsive you are and your friendships are not developing. So that's and you start the medication and put the skill development stuff in and watch and go, friendships are getting stronger reading's getting better you know whatever it is and that can help sometimes because you can be like man this feels awful i've included my kid i've got a specialist you know who's writing the script who's walking me through it stepping me through the reasoning and all that stuff but it still feels awful but watch the kid watch the kid get better at stuff and that can help because that's the most powerful thing is seeing our kids succeed at things and, yeah, and just being kind of really open and honest about it. But that, that's the, a lot of the work we do is the stigma against the medication and it's kind of rearing its head a little bit again of like, you know, I think there are some kids that are over-medicated but it's always only a trial and it's got to prove that it works on those specific things. And we're also always looking, every time a medicator is on medication, we ask the question of, is it time to stop the medication or to reduce the dose of it? And the good thing about stimulant medication is you can actually check that pretty quickly. It's yep. not something you need to wean off. Yep. A lot of kids will take what's called medication holidays where they're every weekend or on school holidays. They come off it okay, and go, what's it like? And, you know, parents are very good at going, nah, God, Saturday was crazy. Yeah. Like, we're not ready yet. Gotcha. But then you just start it again. You go back onto it.
1: It'd probably help you, like, identify the gaps as well when they come off it, like specifics.
0: Yeah, definitely. You're like, okay. have you got to the point where you Flexibility's really this good. Yeah. yeah,
1: they could change socially with that, but wow, the impulses just kept coming back. Yeah, or
0: they're really disorganised still. Disorganised, forgetful memory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so whatever it is and you go, cool, we're not there yet, but you keep checking it. And a lot of kids will eventually get off the meds. So that's the thing.
1: Great, awesome. Uh, We have three questions to go. Do you need a diagnosis and should we see a specialist?
0: Yeah, so people were asking, like, I'm struggling to see a paediatrician or we've been advised to see a speech pathologist or an occupational therapist or a psychologist. Um, So, yeah, that's really different for everyone. I think one of the reasons about we started this podcast is because I I think it's not not working where we're just like, cool, just sit on a wait list and no one's going to be able to support your child or give you advice or help, you know, until you get to see that person and pay lots of money or wait a long time, wait a year and a half, two years to see someone. So I think you can do a lot of this stuff like thinking about how do I support my child in developing this? How do I have these conversations at school? There's a few benefits of seeing a specialist though and it's because I don't really care about the diagnosis. The reason – because there is a risk in diagnosing kids and saying, you know, that this kid, the whole narrative becomes about, oh, yeah, that's Billy with ADHD. Mm -hmm. The reason I do it is because it guides what we do about it because the evidence is under an umbrella of kids with ADHD. But ADHD is just a description of symptoms. They have problems with attention and they're hyperactive. Gotcha. So that's, it helps me and go, cool, this is what I need to focus on. And it helps me in the same way of what we talked about with the emotional stuff, when I'm like, okay, cool, this kid's got ADHD. That is not the reason he's so anxious. or well, that's not the reason she's so angry. You know, So I've got to keep going for other stuff, and that's where professionals or specialists can come in and really help. And so I think it is don't wait for that stuff to think about these things but they can be really helpful. And what we're trying to do in the community at the moment is build up the capacity of every professional that's around these kids to support them whether it's the footy coach, the GP, you know, the educator, the maternal child health nurse because they're the people that have the relationships and they're accessible. Yeah. So, you know, reaching out to those professionals around you can be really helpful.
1: Yeah, because it's the best way to obviously build skills first. So the the point isn't. Oh, kid's got ADHD. Let's start the medication. It's like, let's start the skill work first, right? Yeah, yeah. But Typically. you
0: got it. Totally, yeah. And you where got you it, can, I guess. Yeah, where you can, and also, yeah, these are not kind of life sentences. That like, you know, that's a really important bit about. it. Oh, he's got ADHD, so he's probably not going to go to uni, or you know, she's got ADHD, so she's never really going to get an A on a test. That's wrong. And that's, you know, that's the careful bit about it as well, of like mm. that is not, yep no child should have that story around them because they've got ADHD.
1: Okay, cool. Two to go. How to stop the stigma. Tough one.
0: What's interesting, there's kind of research on this stuff about how do we do this and like the evidence is helpful when I'm like, oh, it's 7% of kids between 4 and 17 and all that stuff. That kind of makes you go, oh, there's a lot of people um doing the education that we're doing on the podcast but actually what is the really powerful thing is narratives and hearing stories about people that have ADHD you know and getting to meet people and especially people that are succeeding at the things that are important to us you know and some people that'll be a footy player some people that'll be a researcher some people that'll be like a famous actor and those are the things that push back against it and it's actually been really nice to see those narratives coming through where we hear stories about people that have it and they're actually really amazing people that are really creative and really motivated and hearing their stories is a really important bit of it. And, um yeah, I think that, you know, we've got to find common ground and all this stuff and that's the one really helpful way about it is that the podcast hopefully helps with that. People can be like, hey, you know, granddad, you know, struggles with the idea and thinks that he's just being naughty or mm-hmm. that I just need to be stricter. You should have a listen to this podcast though because it kind of, it really helped us think about it. And obviously our podcast is not the only way to educate other people but it's a good way to think about like instead of having arguments and saying it's not because he's naughty, like let other people guide that stuff and bring grandpa, bring the aunt, the uncle, whoever it is that's struggling into this stuff.
1: Yeah, I think there's obviously a challenge where you don't have the kind of right background which I think part one of this whole episode gives so you get a bit of education on it. Because mm. I think sometimes where there's like a void of good knowledge on what the subject is being ADHD, um, sometimes filled with the wrong things, right? So I think going back for those who have someone that are a bit sceptical or think it's a, a, a truly worrying thing, they should just listen about it first and just learn a bit so um, they can yeah. have support those around them.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the amazing thing is those narratives can complement the evidence. Like I think the person who's got ADHD or whatever is great about talking about what this is like, but you've got to be careful when they're like, and this is, you know, whether you should take medication or not, because that's the thing that needs to be paired is the evidence and kind of, yeah, and that's what the podcast tries to do both with. Yeah, and the other thing I guess is just, yeah, you're right, this kind of void of information can be really challenging so a lot of people don't understand it. And like I've soapboxed about a lot on this podcast, the inclusion of these kids in our community does not only – I actually think it secondarily benefits that kid,
1: you know. Yep. I
0: actually think it primarily benefits the community. How so? Well, because you, if you have these kids who are creative and different and have these amazing ways of thinking and have the fast brain and can take in all the information, you're a better group – if they're a part of it. Do you know what I mean? The uniformity, we should all be exactly the same as this, means that we all have the same flaws and all have the same weaknesses. And kids, especially kids, but us as adults as well, but kids learning how to successfully engage and interact and succeed in their goals, whether it's winning the game or footy or the play going really well or, you know, whatever, those will be better kids because of it that they'll have better skills. They won't just be better people. They'll have better skills and then they'll take that to their workplace. They'll take that to university. They'll take that to their relationships because, they, you know, pretty much all of us have got something like this going on and so you'll be better with a future partner if through school you've actually understood ADHD has nothing to do with how smart you are. Yeah. Yep. And then you meet someone like that and you go, yeah, cool. That's, I completely am really good and I understand everyone's different. You know, so that's that's the my soapbox about that stuff.
1: No, it's good. Fair enough, I get it. Last question, and we get this a very um, uh, what's the word? Uh, a very committed cohort of listeners is mm. the educators. Yes, uh, we have a yeah, lot of educators and teachers, and we love questions from them because, and parents. Should be pretty stoked with this—the fact that they listen to this a lot and they care a lot. Um,
0: yeah, because they're all doing it in their free time.
1: Exactly, it's in the—it's outside of school hours that they're listening to this to try and get better for the classroom. So we had some educators asking about classroom strategies. So how can they get better in the classroom practically?
0: Yeah, so it's a really good one, and um, I think there's a couple of things in this. Like we, we do a lot of stuff with educators, as you know. Um, and we've got some evidence-based programs that we roll out about building capacity. And the first step for educators is really psychoeducation.
1: Yeah. So just building capacity, that term, I just that is building, basically giving them the skills, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So they're sure. going to see all these kids. They support them. They're amazing. They all will often say to us, look, it sucks to just say, go and see GP and sort it out. Because they're like, they live our, their lives with us. Yeah. You know, I want to be armed to help them. And that's not saying, cool, you will. you will have to be their psychologist or no. you have to be their developmental paediatrician. It's how do you do stuff that's practically helpful for you that's evidence-based. And what we do is we work with schools really intensely to develop that because so there's kind of like this idea about teach yourself, that kind of sucks. I will come in and do one session with you and you'll learn about ADHD and teachers are awesome. They come to that stuff and make the time for it. But then they go away and go, hang on a second, it doesn't relate to this kid or how does that link with this problem that I'm having? So what we do is we build communities where we go, actually get to know the teachers, we work, we see each other once a fortnight and talk about it. You bring specific kids and the problems they're having and we come up with an answer together using all of our combined expertise. And that's kind of where a lot of the evidence is and what we do about this. What that looks like in the classroom is, I think the first step is often having a discussion that includes the kids and going, hey, we're going to be here a lot in this environment. We all want to succeed in it being a pleasant thing where we learn and we have fun and we enjoy it. I think we can do better with that at the moment. Do you guys agree? Yeah, cool. What does that look like? What do you reckon the rules are that we have? What are the, you know, because you've done the relationship bit first. You're going, we want to be happy. We want to enjoy this. We want to learn. We want to have a good time. Then you kind of have a really clear plan. And a lot of people will talk about like visual reminders or star charts or whatever it is. There is evidence to that, but... Only when it's done with an understanding that everyone in that community understands why we have that, whether it's on the fridge at home or it's in the classroom, you kind of go, yeah, cool, we're doing that because we had that discussion where we all agreed that we wanted it to be more fun and less boring and we wanted to get stuff out of it or whatever. And then this is what it looks like. And then the educators are really good because then they role model it and they go, you know, in this simple stuff can be like in this environment we put our hand up, we don't shout out, we share, whatever and then you reinforce it you reinforce when you see it and you don't pick out oh billy okay class we're all focusing on billy not driving us crazy and getting up out of his chair all the time you know that doesn't help you don't have a thing on the chart on the wall that says billy how many times did billy get out of his chair when he shouldn't have today and you cross it off do you know what i mean that billy will get worse so (sighs) you kind of go this is what we're all trying to achieve to have successful this part of the day is something that working on, all of us kind of being respectful of each other, waiting turns, whatever, and that skill development. Then when you see it, you reinforce it. And how you reinforce it is really important. Mm -hmm. So you reinforce it by immediate feedback. So you don't go at the end of the day and go, Billy, you were amazing, you didn't get out of your chair. or you only got out of your chair a couple of times. In the moment, like that is awesome, Billy. I'm so glad you're making this such a fun session because of that has to be delivered in a really warm way and has to be really specific. So you have to specifically say, this is what you're doing that's amazing. Yep. And it can't be, it's so good that you're not doing that thing. Yeah, okay. So we don't look at kids and go, the goal is not that you stop doing that thing, whether it was parents or educators or whatever. It's the goal is that we learn together how to do this thing. Does that make sense? Yep. It's a really important point whether it's calling out swearing pushing other kids not sharing the goal is not to stop doing that it's to do something instead and we have to instruct kids specifically on that and set them up and look at the even the transitions and go cool class is ending i know nick really struggles and usually gets lost because he talks to 10 people goes to the wrong room hasn't got his books and he's lost his lunch and he's got water Mm. all over his clothes yep you don't just go oh good luck nick I know you're going to stuff it up. You go, cool, I need support in this. So I know that's about to happen. I'm going to support him and positively guide him on what he should do and help him succeed at it and then I back out and go, cool, you're actually nailing that with me right next to you now. So all I need to do now is just instruct you and go, hey, mate, you're going to go out there. Remember, it's this class down the left. Just say hi to your mates. Don't get stuck in too deep conversations, whatever. And then they're more likely to succeed at it. And if they don't, you go back and go, cool, I backed off too quickly. So I've got to come back in. So that's kind of like a really important bit of it. And we've got to be really careful with kids with ADHD because just because they're sitting at the table and not getting up or not calling out does not mean they're learning. So we don't just go, cool, Billy doesn't, he's not disruptive anymore, so we're all sweet. You've got to go, he's not disruptive anymore and his maths is getting way better. Or he's not as impulsive as he used to be and his friendships are really flourishing. Gotcha. So you don't just go, the bad thing's gone. We're all good. You yeah. go the thing that was he was struggling with that was impacting his learning, his social relationships, his self esteem is gone and, and he's getting better at that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just it's really a real vulnerability in kids' ADHD that they stop being impulsive or hyperactive and we go sweet, we're sorted. Oh. And then they hit high school and they've missed the foundations of their social relationships.
1: Yeah, and it's just that last little bit, isn't it, to reinforce the good part yeah
0: so you got to measure it you got to have a way it's easy with reading and writing and maths and stuff to measure it yeah. and go yeah you actually probably should be an eighth grade student yeah and you're not because you're impulsive the impulsivity gotten better are you getting towards being an A grade student The social relationship stuff is harder but all kids should be succeeding socially all kids should have strong self-esteem so you know how do you make sure that's going on
1: awesome that's great that's our last question Cool. Well, we'll yeah, do. that was a good one. And a
0: quick shout out as well to a lot of parents sent in specific stuff that we didn't read out, but we just got so many that we will respond to it. There's a bit of stuff that was off topic, but we called all that stuff. And as you know, we kind of catalog all that about what we're going to do in the future. Yep. So if you feel like, oh, this came up, like even some people are asking about stuff we've done previous episodes on. I've got some honesty to disclose in a future episode about fussy eating. <laughs> 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 oh, can't wait for part two or part three. Probably, yeah, that's probably going to have to come back as people are still asking for it. People are still asking about it. And, um,
1: yeah, I think there's a, you know, we've both had some learning since <laughs> then. Uh, it is. <laughs> Fussy eating. Um, But look, again, I always go on about it, but part twos are made up and they're they're only fantastic from the questions we get from people and we appreciate everyone taking the time. Uh, We get some particularly long, detailed questions and some weeks we read them all the way out, but sometimes we might get three or four similar. No no cases are the same, but we've got to get through, obviously, in a time that everyone can get there. And we also really
0: appreciate our open Mm -hmm. people are sharing their experiences. Like that always knocks you and me for six doesn't it we just love hearing that stuff yeah so please keep sending that through
1: yeah please uh it makes part two so important not just for us but so many people going through similar things is what we're seeing Mm. um and so they benefit from those high detail questions uh they're really rich and people get a great you're impacting a lot more people by asking them than just yourself and getting a response so we really appreciate it that's episode 36 billy 14 more to 50. That's what I'm yeah, thinking Wow, Yeah, i to, to
0: do something amazing at 50. It's <laughs> going to land right before Christmas.
1: I know, yeah. That'll take us – yeah, it will be, won't it? Yeah. i love to do something special. What a year. Man, wear Santa hats. I've been <laughs> Santa Claus a few times historically. <laughs> yes. Maybe a little <laughs> bit better than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Awesome. Thanks very much, guys. Appreciate your time and we'll see you next week for episode 37.